pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just this red letter challenge that just brings up some practical ways for us to be challenged in a real way to follow and do what you have said. Give us ears to hear, Lord. We know it's you, Holy Spirit, who teaches us all things. So we ask for your presence right now to to be evident that we would know that we're hearing from you. Give us hearts that are willing to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the, uh, I guess, the third week now of this Red Letter Challenge. So we began with the week of being, which I think is something that we should practice, even if we're, you know, not doing it for that week. Are we being with Christ? Are we spending time with our Lord and Savior? Um, And I know sometimes in this world, it's very difficult for us to do that. And we fill our lives up with busyness. And not that those things aren't bad. And not that they're not good. They're just things. And sometimes it's, how do we prioritize, right? Is Jesus my number one priority? And the enemy and this world and even your flesh will do everything it can to distract you from Jesus being the priority. But I think all of us would say, when I spend time in a routine with my Lord and Savior, first thing or sometime throughout the day, I feel refreshed. I feel good. My goal is that when we gather together, that when we leave here, we might talk about some difficult things, but when we leave here, we would go, oh, how wonderful a Savior we have. I can carry on this week. And then last week, we looked at forgiving. And this was challenging for a lot of us. And I think the biggest challenge that we find is we're willing to give forgiveness out because we know God forgives, but we really have a hard time forgiving what's happened in our lives. And it's not that we have to forgive ourselves. It's like, Lord, I have a hard time believing that you really have forgiven me. And hopefully we realize that, man, Jesus really has not just covered your sin. He's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, never to bring it up again. And we have the habit of bringing our shortcomings, our faults, our failures, even from years ago. And I think that's okay from time to time, as long as it makes you go, thank you, Jesus. The problem is we like ourselves a lot, and so we'll sit in our misery for a bit, right? And it's just weird. You know, if you saw somebody else sitting there kicking themselves or, or you know, beating themselves up for something, you would say, what are you doing? Come on, you know that's not true, but yet we allow that for ourselves quite often. This week we go into serving, and you kind of see the next few weeks really are a little more action to our faith. I mean, forgiving had some, right, for sure. Hey, you know, write down this or do this. And I think many of you are like, oh man, I knew it was coming. Now that guy up there, the preacher is going to tell me I have to do something. You know, wait, I thought this was all about Jesus and I don't have to do anything. Let me first explain something to you. God never puts pressure on us to perform. God revealed that to me years ago, maybe seven years ago now, or eight, actually when I went to Israel. And I watched these people, these Jewish people, who did not know the true Messiah, and they were so comfortable that, hey, we're God's children. There wasn't wasn't any doubt in their minds. There was just this, I am God's child. And I'm sitting there thinking as I'm watching these people who, who are far from Christ, very religious, and saying, I know the truth. I know that I'm, I'm, I'm free in Christ, and yet I struggle just resting in that, and I'm always trying to do things to make sure that I'm accepted to Christ. 
God never has asked us to perform to be accepted to him or to, for him to grant us his favor. But he does, because he's such an awesome God, invite you to start doing stuff that aligns with him and his heart for other people. He's like, hey, come on. You want to come along? Let's do this. Now, have you ever done something for the wrong reasons or the wrong way? You don't have to raise your hand. But I think we've all had those moments like, oh man, you know, that was definitely not the right motivation. Might have been a good thing, but it wasn't right. So when I was in high school, I did go to high school. I took Algebra 2 my junior year, and I like Algebra for the most part. Um, there's a few things, you know, like lying over a slope, and I don't like the slope stuff. But the algebraic expressions, I love that. I love figuring out problems. And it usually comes fairly simple for me. I'd be able to look at the problem and give the answer. Now, many of you probably had this problem. You had a teacher that says, I don't care if you know the answer, I want to see the steps. Right? And I thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. I'm like, if I know the answer, why do I have to show the steps? And so I would ace every test, never show the steps. Well, behind the scenes, she was plotting with my parents to say, hey, can we teach Kirk a little bit of a lesson? I'm surprised they went along with it. Anyway, and so she gave me, she gave me a D in the class. Technically passing, right? And she goes, but I'll tell you what, why don't you retake it and work on doing the steps? And so I repeated the class, and I actually didn't have to redo the steps. I had to tutor people. It was just dumb, right? And so, but the problem is, is that even though I had the right answer and I had the solution, my heart was wrong. My heart was like, hey, let me show you how, how smart I am because I can get the answer without doing the steps. You little ones who have to do the steps. Ha, ha, ha. No, right? That wasn't, that, that wasn't the right attitude. And a lot of times we can get to the solution and miss some key steps along the way because we think, well, we know better. We can do that. In Isaiah chapter 1, there was, the Jews were very religious people, and God speaks directly to them. They're bringing their offerings, they're sacrificing, their praise are coming from their lips. From the outside, you'd be like, wow, these people are devout. They're awesome. They know what they're doing, but God has a different view. He looks down at them, he says, hey, stop that. He goes, your, your, your sacrifices are a stench in my nostrils. Wow. And yet they're thinking, hey, we're doing whatever. Why? Because they praised them, him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. God cares more about where your heart is aligned than what your outward actions are. But when your heart is aligned, guess what? Your outward actions are going to change a little bit. We can serve, but often with incorrect motive. And I think that's a battle for us all the time, right? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this because other people expect me to? Am I doing this because I want to feel like I'm a good Christian? Or am I doing this because I am just so overwhelmed with the forgiveness and the love of God that I just can't help myself but serve? As we read Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus explains that he came to serve and not to be served. By the way, the first shall be last and the last shall be first does not apply to potluck lines. Okay? So I, how, many, how many of you heard that when you get in the line for a potluck and someone's waiting? They're like, oh no, you know, the last shall be first. They're like, oh, come on, just get in there and eat. What it really means is they want to be able to put as much on their plate without, you know, without feeling bad about it. Not true. I mean, that's not your motivation. Maybe you truly do want other people to go first. 
But remember, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Now you would think, here's, here's the king of glory coming down, the true Messiah. He had every right to say, serve me. But he says, no, I came to serve, not to be served. Now if we are to be like Jesus, which we were created originally in the image of God, Jesus we know from John chapter 1 is God, then we should serve others out of love for others. Problem is, we, as represented by Adam and Eve, blew it. By the way, make sure you identify yourself with Adam and Eve. I think sometimes I go, oh man, those two, why'd they mess it up for everyone else? Here's the reality. You put in the same position would do the exact same thing. So it's not like, oh, bad Adam and Eve, you ruined it for the rest of us. I ruined it for the rest of us. You ruined it for the rest of us. You wanted us to feel good when we left, Kirk. Stop it. No, well, that's, that's what happens. But they blew it, and they chose to sin and mar the perfect image of God on our lives. The image is still there, though. It's just blurred by our sin. It's just blurred by our sin. There's still things in our lives that really show this is the imprint of God. God's made us certain ways. We're relational people. We're creative people. We, we have morals. Even though you might look at the world today and go, there's no morals, there's still, most countries would tell you and governments that it's not right to kill somebody. So there's still this, this on, or murder somebody. We might want to clarify a little bit. But we carry the sinful nature because we are by nature sinful people since the fall of Adam and Eve. Yet, we see in Christ the perfection of God and that he, all that he did was from the heart of serving others. All that Christ did was serve the Father first out of obedience. Sure, I'll go. I don't know if that was the real conversation, but yeah, I'll go. And I'm going to serve the people that I love so much. There's that valuable to me. Then a side note, are people valuable to you? I think it's tough sometimes when people are jerks. You know, they're not very valuable to me right now. You know, yeah, I know you died from Jesus, but really, do I have to like them? Do I have to serve them? Well, they're valuable. But this is where we get tri tripped up. We get the idea that we have to serve in order to find favor with God rather than serve out of a response to his love. And I think we can even start in response to his love. But because we enjoy serving and we feel the pleasure of God, like, uh, was it Eric Little? Was that his name in Chariots of Fire? When I run, I feel his pleasure. When we serve, there's a lot of times we feel his pleasure. Oh, how great it is to serve. And then I'm, then I'm serving a mighty God. But then that can turn into my definition of Christianity is whether I'm serving or not. And it's a fine line. And we have to go, okay, am I enjoying what I'm doing? Now, there are times when God keeps you in what you're doing because you're going through a season. I had about a year where I was dealing with some health issues and I led music on, on a midweek service and we had to drive almost an hour to get there and I just didn't want to go for like a year. I was tired. I was just, and, and I would get there and I was always blessed when I got there, but to get there was really a struggle, really a struggle and God kept me in there. And there's some things I learned throughout that year of how to rely upon the strength of the Lord that I wouldn't have learned without that, that time. We also do not fully realize that when we believed, the Holy Spirit removed our heart of stone 
and gave us a heart that is soft and pliable in the hands of God. He has made us new in Christ. Born again, the old man replaced with the perfect person in Christ. Our problem is perception, right? All we see in the mirror is this frail person that keeps failing. <laughs> we, we're stuck, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Have you heard that before? Wherever I go, there I am. Every time I look in the mirror, it's still me. And what do we do? We look at the faults. We look at, oh man, you know, I'm not the shape that I want to be. Or man, these eyebrows, or these ear hair. Ear hair grows faster than bamboo, by the way, at a certain age. Just so you know. <laughs> I don't understand why we need curb feelers. But anyway, uh, but, but you're just like, what? Really? There again. But we focus on ourselves. Instead of going, we are the perfect person in Christ. When we realize that Jesus has truly served us, then we can and we will desire to serve others as a response to his great love. I don't think anyone would say, okay, well, Kirk's telling us we don't have to serve now because if I'm not serving out of the right heart, I guess I don't. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God's created us to serve. He's made us new in Christ. And Christ said, I came to serve, not to be served. So if now we have the nature of Christ. Guess what? We've been given that perfect nature to serve others. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, consider others' needs above your own. Don't look at yourself, but what do other people need? And do you find it interesting? That's where the battle is all the time. Romans 12, 1, we read, exhorts us to present our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is, as some translations say, our reasonable act of worship. After all the mercy of God's bestowed upon you, living your life for him, that's just reasonable. That's just logical. The Apostle Paul encourages this living sacrifice again in light of God's mercy. So are we aware of God's mercy? This mercy makes us a holy nation. Do you ever feel, do you feel like a holy nation? Mm, right? A people called God's very own, as the Apostle Peter stated. We're called God's very own. Wow. I am God's very own. You're God's very own. That is amazing. In light of the way that we have been served by Christ, our logical response is to serve as he has served. Pray that God the Holy Spirit would help us understand how how amazingly mercifully, say that fast, we have been served. And it's not like the common vernacular, you've been served, right? No, that's not. That's not not how Jesus serves us. He's like, hey, I've served you. I love you. Okay, so now I'm probably going to step on some toes, if I haven't already. I'm good at that. And I'm not light, so you might feel it. But we have a natural problem in the church, and that is laziness. Some may call it apathy. You might say, wait a second, don't call me lazy, mister. I'm going to walk right out of here right now if you call me lazy. You're all here, so I'm not talking to you, right? But we have a problem. We consistently assume that somebody else will do the things that need to get done. You know, being in a large church, um, we had a large pastoral staff, and we made sure everything was ready for everything. And if we didn't like the way something was being done, I shouldn't say if somebody didn't like the way, the senior guy didn't like the way something was being done, he'd say, hey, make sure it gets the way that we want it done. So we would go fix everything. And so when people would come visit, 
Oh, there's no need for me. All the trashes are emptied. You know, all the bathrooms are clean. Now, I want the trashes emptied and I want the bathrooms clean. But, but what you need to understand is it took somebody serving to do those things. So don't assume just because when you walk into a place and everything looks ready, that there's not a place for you to serve. We easily pass the buck and we are thankful that we didn't have to move outside of our comfort zone. We're going to talk about going in a couple weeks which is outside of most of our comfort zones. I mean, I have to share my faith with other people. Somebody else will do that. It's just easier. They can flip channels. They can flip the radio station. I'm sure they'll hear it. I want to get ahead of myself. That's in two weeks. We must understand that God has created us to be those who do. It wasn't like in the garden, he told Adam and Eve, even after the fall, he didn't say, okay, now go tend to these things. In fact, in that, what we read today says, I'm creating you and they will have dominion over which means we, we get to rule over something. That means we have to do something. Consider Ephesians 2.10, right? We should, I don't want to say should, but a lot of us know this verse. We love 8 and 9, by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not of your works, so that no man should boast. But Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we have been saved by grace to walk in works that God has prepared for us to walk in. You are in Christ, you are in service. Simple as that. We were never saved to sit we were saved to serve. Let that sink in for a minute because I think we can struggle with that phrase. We were never saved to sit. We were saved to serve. Not to earn our salvation. Not to stay in good favor with God. We were saved to serve. And he's put that in us. How many of you, when you received Jesus Christ for the first time, now what do I get to do, right? Most people are like, now what? I want to do something. God's, God's built that in you built that in you. Though we can never earn our salvation and we can never repay Jesus for what he has done, we can respond. Now, we don't respond by our own will or by gritting our teeth, but we respond with joy fueled by the Holy Spirit. When we are regretting our service, we are not responding to grace, but believing that we are under obligation. And that's a core issue to what we believe about what God says and who we are. Now, there's a fine line. We should not work out of obligation, but out of love. So here's a challenge. Oh, man, I don't like challenges. Do I serve out of duty or in response to being served by Christ? And I want to encourage us to say, wait, I want to serve, but I want to serve in response to the great love of Jesus Christ and how well I've been served. Not because other people expect me to, although sometimes God uses that to nudge you a little bit, and you go, oh, hey, this is great, I get to serve. I didn't know I wanted to serve this way, but now I get to. How fun is that? The reason we find such great joy in serving others is because it is a tangible likeness to Jesus. You know, when you say, hey, I'm a Christian, that means you know they were first called that in Antioch, and it meant little Christ. So these people were acting like Jesus Christ. And so when we serve one another, it's, it's one of the most tangible ways we can say, I am being Christ-like. And we can see that, we can feel that, we can sense it. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that faith without works is dead, and that he will show you his faith by his works. So he's not saying, hey, you work to show that you have faith. He says, no, he goes, I have faith, and from that, I work. Serving Jesus comes from the outflow of our faith in Christ. And I don't think I'm sharing anything that you all haven't heard before or that doesn't make some sort of sense. 
But I think because the way we are, God says, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to be bringing you back to the basic. May I suggest that we have the opportunity to serve someone every day? If you leave the house, go to work, go to the store, come to church, drive on the road, go to school, etc., you have an opportunity to consider the needs of others and serve. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. Parents, serve your kids. That doesn't mean idolize them and exalt them above everything else, but it means to serve them out of the love of Jesus. How can I serve my kid and benefit him to the glory of God or her? Employees, serve your boss, your company, and your co-workers. Consumer, serve your retail associate. You can serve that cashier. Did you know that? You know? It just Sometimes you don't want to because they're going to start a conversation and the people behind you are going to be mad. But, but I think you get the idea. Our lives are to be that of service that flows from being served. So here's the key to serving. Are you ready? It's a big one. Be caught up in love with Jesus. And you will desire to serve others as he has so graciously served you. And a lot of times, because you're just loving Jesus, you won't even be aware that you're serving so much. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 15, 9 through 17. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved you. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Love one another. One of the greatest ways we can love one another is to serve one another. Now, wouldn't it be great if the reputation of FLC, which is Faith Lutheran Church, was one that loved one another, and they knew that in the community. And the community saw us here as people who loved in action. Isn't that a great reputation to have? If I were to ask all of you if you wanted to love God to be evident to others, and if you desire others to know the love of God, you'd probably say, yeah, I want others to know that I love God. I want, others to, I want it to be evident to others that, that God loves them. Again, Jesus indicates that our works of service can serve this purpose. In Matthew 5, 14 and 15, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That others would be drawn to our Heavenly Father by our good deeds is the goal of our service. Lord, I want people to see you and what I do. God, out of my love for you and out of serving you, I want people to know you. This gives us great meaning to all that we do. So we never want to serve because we think that's how we're acceptable to God. I can't emphasize enough. But we should ask ourselves, if I don't want to serve others, why not? Why not? So maybe you just don't know where to begin. Well, I've given you some cards. 
There's enough for everyone, because there's 63 cards, because I have the 64th in my hand. Maybe you just write a card. One of the challenges is going to be encouraging someone this week. Maybe it's just writing a card to a neighbor, to a loved one. If you don't even know how to do that, or you're not sure who to write to, you can write one to the teachers at Hawthorne Middle School and bring it back next week, and I'll go give it to them, thanking them for what they do. If you're like, man, I, I, don't, I don't have enough money for a stamp, bring it back next week. I'll put a stamp on it and send it for you. Simple way. Hey, maybe a note to your husband or to your, or to your wife or to your kids. The first place that we should begin is with the family and those closest to you. Happily serve them. There are always opportunities to serve in the church. There's children's ministry, media ministry, which is not working right now. Um, <laughs> maybe that's what we need help with. Huh? Clean up at times, you know, after service. Trunk or treats coming up. There's a sign up in the back. Laura and I are going to win the trunk or treat, so you guys better sign up and, and bring it, right? There's Hawthorne Middle School donations. You guys have been faithful and already been bringing stuff in. There's trunk or treat donations. Uh, we want to give kids cavities with the love of Jesus, right? There's, there's other opportunities of ushering and cleanup and things like that. You know, I, I, I'm going to do something I wasn't planning to do. I'm going to do it right now. Uh, can I have the elders stand really quick, the ones that are here? Bob's downstairs in the Bob and Lara show. If you don't know where you can plug into the church, these gentlemen can help you, and myself also. Say, hey, you know, I want to help. Okay, have a seat. Thank you. Good job, guys. You can serve your neighbors. Here's a key point. The life of one who knows they have been served by Christ will serve others. The life of one who knows they have been served by Christ will serve others. This week we will be challenged to serve. And we might feel that it is out of our comfort zone. I will guarantee you, though, that if you trust the Lord and sincerely ask Him what He's inviting you into each day, you will find excitement in your faith journey and enjoy Jesus more and more. As you look at your pray and watch list that you've compiled, maybe it's one of those people that the Lord's asking you to write a note to or to serve this week. May we be open to what God has for us and respond in the strength of His Spirit and the enabling. So today, we're brought to the very presence and the, the, of the body and blood of Christ. Jesus proclaimed that He came to serve and not to be served. And that service culminated in giving His life for you and for me. We come to the bread and cup this morning in the very presence of Christ. It serves us. He serves us. His very presence is there. He serves us with what? The gifts of forgiveness and eternal life and peace. May we understand and experience this in greater ways this morning. Just take a moment before we do the offering and just say, Lord, how can I serve this week? But more than that, Lord, can I be more aware of how I've been served? So just a moment of silence.